Sinister Parlor. Sinister Parlor. Sinister Parlor. Sinister Parlor. <laughs> Good evening, fiends. Welcome to another episode of Sinister Parlor Podcast. I'm Zombie Barbie, and tonight I have a very special guest, writer, director, producer, and actor of the cult classic film Spookies and also Street Trash, Frank Farrell, like the singer. <laughs> but I, I didn't do perform all those functions on both those films necessarily. Right, right. <laughs> but you just do everything. I, I do everything, given a chance, yeah. Yes. All right. So, well, we'll start with Spookies, which you were writer and producer. Did you also direct as well on that one? No, it was it, essentially uh, the film was written by myself and my two partners, Tom Doran and Brendan Faulkner. And we had been working together for several years to try and get a horror feature into production. We had a few uh, false starts. We started a project called uh, Bloody Pulp at one time, which we got going, started shooting. Fangoria even covered it. Oh, wow. uh, And then we just, did, we couldn't raise the rest of the money. So the film just mm -hmm. never went on. Uh, we then had a project called Hellspawn. Uh, I mean, we actually had a number of projects, but Hellspawn was the next one we started shooting actual scenes. We were going to do a promo and then incorporate that into a proposed feature. And in the midst of that, we met this uh, gentleman from England, Michael Lee, who was looking for someone to make him a horror movie. He was the owner of the British video company Vipco, uh, which is known for exclusively pretty much for horror movies. They, his whole thing was he capitalized on the video nasty thing that happened back in the 80s in mm -hmm. where every horror movie was accused of being obscene or unfit for human consumption or whatever else. Yeah. And so he, <laughs> yeah, I mean, almost every really gory movie of that period, his company was the one that released it in, in Britain. Oh, wow. Okay. But he, uh, he came here, he was, uh, he knew and had talked to various other low budget filmmakers, uh, an English director named Terry Marcel, um, Andy Milligan, who's a fairly infamous uh, exploitation filmmaker here in the US. And uh, somehow he wound up uh, coming to us. And the reason I think he went with us is because we had people we were working with already who were heavily into doing makeup effects and prosthetics and monsters with puppetry and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And he wanted that. He wanted a haunted house monster movie. Nice. Um, so Spookies was released in 1986, right? Ish. I always, I blank out all the time on the actual release year, but I think it's 86, yes. Because okay. we shot our film in 84. And then, and it was supposed to come out in 85, we thought. And then when there was the whole uh, controversy uh, in, in the uh, editing stage, it uh, took another few months and it didn't come out until 86. Okay. Um, so, you know, back in the 80s, you know, obviously we didn't have like Kickstarters and Indiegogo and, you know, internet where we could find people. So how did you find him to know that he was looking for a movie? It was one Basically, uh, to tell the truth, I, uh, myself and my, my, uh, one of my partners, Tom, has passed away. And my other partner, Brendan, is still alive. He's in the documentary that I, uh, that I told you about that we also mm -hmm. have uh, on the, the double disc edition of Spookies. Um, let me say, um, pardon me, I, I lost my train of thought because I, 
I'm just thinking of too many things at once. What, what was I about to answer? Um, how you found him that you knew he was looking oh, how for we found him. Uh, <laughs> I thought he was introduced to us by one of our makeup people, a fellow named Arnold Gargiulo, who was the guy we were working with on the Hellspawn project. That's my memory. My partner seems to feel we connected with him in another way. So I, I don't know. <laughs> it's conflicting. You're not sure. <laughs> right. But he came, you know, I mean, he went, he was there to make a workshop. I think all this stuff impressed oh. him. And he had just tried making a horror film of sorts in England with people there. And he brought, uh, in fact, he brought one of my partners over to the UK uh, after, shortly after we met him to look at all this footage that was shot because he couldn't decide whether to finish this film or not. Wow. And my partner saw it and he said, no, he said, no this, this film is terrible, throw it away. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He'll make a new film. And mm. so that's pretty much where it came from. Uh, in fact, uh, a good portion, uh, I'm trying to remember, I am pretty sure, see, oh, see, here's a confession here. I haven't even personally had a chance to watch all the extras on, on the Blu-ray discs because I'm just oh. too busy. <laughs> so I'm not, I don't, no parts of it are in the documentary, but there was a film he made uh, called The Anger that this, that he was, you know, interested to see whether he thought, uh, we thought it should uh, continue to be made, but um, that there's a good portion of the documentary and I'm forgetting whether they put the entire rough cut of it on the, uh, the disc because I gave them a VHS copy of it. Oh, dang. And the documentary is Twisted Tale, right? Twisted Tale, The Unmaking of Spookies. The Unmaking of Spookies. So everybody check that out. <laughs> yes. There's yeah. a lot of information there, you said, right? Uh, quite a lot. And I think the story is well told. I think uh, there are good guys and bad guys. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I think uh, I think it's a good lesson for, for filmmakers. I mean, it's uh, it, seems to, it seems to capture people's uh, imagination because uh, as a human interest story, you know, a lot of people just said, oh, you know, you should, uh, you, know, you should do a book or you should do a fictional movie based on the making of the movie because there's, there's just a lot of drama there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm really pretty, you know, I, I feel uh, the story for filmmakers is an important one because when you go to someone to finance your movie, unless uh, you're doing it with, let's say, uh, the usual structure for low-budget movies has been a limited partnership, type of arrangement, meaning that you have complete creative control of the movie and the fund, funding people are separate from that. They cannot interfere creatively with anything you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's a way to make a movie and have control. Once yeah. you get to a studio or, or a film production house that wants to fund your film, um, with very few exceptions, because I think even the biggest directors deal with this, it's like they have their views, their demands. This is how we see it. This is what we want. And so I think you just have to realize that's going to happen. In our case, we had control while we were shooting for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, but the fact that we had this person like hovering over us almost all the time, he was on the phone with me every day from England, um, made it very difficult at times because he questioned anything we wanted to do. He, he wanted, you know, he would you know, be like, why, why do you need, you know, you need three pounds of nails. What are you going to do with those nails? Are you sure you need three pounds? Oh my gosh. That type of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Micromanaging. Well, he didn't, I mean, understand that each week I had to sit on the phone with him and go down my list of requests for everything we needed to spend in the coming week, including paying the crew, 
including food, like everything. He wanted everything accounted for, and he would only release to us a week at a time because he couldn't trust us. Oh, geez. And this is the guy over in the UK. Yeah, I mean, the, the unfortunate fact is, is that he was the kind of person who didn't trust people because he was not really especially trustworthy himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, funny how that works, right? When someone else is no, untrustworthy, they don't trust anybody else. No, it's like if you're, if you're, and he, he was a real hustler. He used to, you know, he, he used to sell bootleg merchandise on the streets of, of uh, London. And that's what led to his involvement in the video business. He was, he was pirating it first. And then he got into it, it legitimately by buying rights. Oh, okay. Well, that, yeah, that he, makes sense why he was like he, that. I think his, his general attitude, I, I guess, I, mean, I, I have no idea how cutthroat his early business days were but he his attitude was like you know you know i'm looking to screw everyone and so i, I have to naturally assume you're looking to screw me mm -hmm. yeah when that was really the last thing on our mind was, was screwing him we wanted to make the best film we could possibly make for his sake and on. yeah oh yeah definitely and you know you wrote it um and you want to see it come to life you want it to be the best that it can be so why would you try to screw someone over when you're trying to make your baby come to life. It, it, unfortunately, his mindset was such that, I mean, there was no reasoning with him. Mm -hmm. um, we had to really play psychologists in many cases and just sort of humor him and baby him and try not to upset him. And we always upset him anyway. I mean, it was kind of unavoidable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I would never, if I ever have to make, have to make a film like that again, I, I would probably because it, it was just too draining yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. And beyond which, I mean, understand, the film we made was based on his premise. He wanted a specific kind of film done in a specific kind of way. And he, we had a script, uh, we had a script you know, for Hellspawn that we were already partially uh, we had shot. And he just was like, no, I want, I, want like the, I want a film just like The Evil Dead. And I want monsters popping out of there. And I want, I, want, I want a closet and a monster pops out of there. And then there's a, a trap door and something pops out of it. And everything. And, and we went home that night. My partner said, well, we're, we're making a film about things popping out of things. <laughs> like, I guess we're rewriting everything now. <laughs> so it, it really came down to that. He wanted just something with like all kinds of shit happening constantly, which is fine. It, the problems came in in things like, you know, him saying, oh, well, I want, you know, I want a, a group of teenagers. And we were like, do they have to be teenagers? It's like, yeah. can we, could they possibly be other kinds of people? Was, no, <laughs> teenagers. So we wrote it for teenagers for the most part. Uh, and then we cast people in their 20s and older. So Yeah. <laughs> You're like, we'll just say that well, they're teenagers. People, people watching and reviewing the film will still watch the film. And despite what they're seeing on the screen, call them teenagers. Oh, really? Oh, all the time. <laughs> I noticed, um, I don't remember his name, but I noticed that one of the, the, the one couple, he was a little bit older, but I never correlated. Well, that was intentional, him. and that in our cut would have, there was dialogue sort of explaining their relationship, and he basically was dating this younger woman. These are her friends. Mm -hmm. He's like really unhappy even being with them. Yep. And, you know, but I mean, that's gone, you know, and, and there's some of the conflict between characters there, but it's brief and it's not really clear why it might exist. Mm -hmm. And that's because of everything that happened as far as, well, I mean, it's, cut it's out and... I mean, I've learned from, uh, having 
been involved in the process enough times that when you when you make a movie that and you have to cut it down for time the first things to go are things like explanations characterization information mm-hmm. you know lots of stuff that because the story has to flow it's like you can lose some character you can lose this detail but the story has to flow yeah uh, i think it's one of the it's one of the reasons i think a lot of movies get criticized of like you know very poor characterization because that's usually the first stuff to, to be taken out for, for mm-hmm. the running yeah um so you were saying before we started recording you were saying that there was a lot of um conflict and it was a you know basically a horror story in itself trying to make the film can you say what happened as far as how some of it i'll answer it okay like how a lot of it you said was not what you originally had written um, like everything was reshot. Well, everything was reshot as it as it exists now. Yes. Um, this new person, uh, whose name I will not mention again, <laughs> uh, came in, convinced the, our backer that the film was unworkable as it was. I mean, we what we left in the midst of a first rough, uh, a rough assembly. A rough assembly means that you just sort of take shots and put every shot that you think you're going to use in there, and it's all very loose. There's just repetitive action there's lots of stuff that obviously is going to be taken out but it was about two and a half hours long Mm -hmm. and she saw this and said oh there's not enough here for a feature film Uh, because she was already i think at that stage realizing that she could talk him into letting her shoot something Mm -hmm. and i had the feeling that as that progressed it became oh well why don't we do a whole new framing story and then we don't need x y and z and uh and because there's no, I mean, it does nothing to help the story. The story was simple, at, you know, to begin with. I mean, it was basically a bunch of people in a house and there are monsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, it came down to uh, like everything, as I told you, none of the, as I told you before the show, the, the mm-hmm. editing, everything is just, every cut is different than it's intended to be. Um, the actual horror scenes, the monster scenes, which you figure are like, the money scenes for the movie those are the, that's why anyone wants to see this in the first place yeah yeah everything just reduced in you know in running time uh things like the scene with the spider lady uh mm-hmm. there were just lots of shots camera moves um just i mean destroyed really i mean i'm trying to be you know charitable and to and to the average viewer just watching it you're not going to know that you know yeah. it looked a lot of it to me just yeah it plays like you know any low budget horror movie might play but it was better. There was, I mean, our original uh, film was intended to be full of like elaborate camera moves and things like this. There were lots of, uh, we spent so much time setting up track for dolly shots, all of which were cut out of the film. Oh, shit. Uh, she pretty much went with like close-ups and, and pieces of shots to be able to, to let scenes play out. And it just, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it just doesn't feel in any way like what we intended. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's um, it's it's kind of I, I think it's a unique situation in that the film was so expressly destroyed for her own benefit. Yeah. You know, I don't think that usually happens. Usually, that you know, someone will come in and they'll get hired to fix something up or shoot something new. But it's I think it's rare that somebody has come in and said, "Oh, all right, just forget about this, and I'm going to make the movie now." Yeah, she wanted Especially to do her own. He was so cheap and so concerned about wasting money. She got him to spend, from what I know, uh, like it, um, 
about as much as we already spent. I mean, I, I, not, not the same amount, but, but close to it. I mean, the film, what we shot wound up costing a little over $300,000. And when she was done, it was over half a million. Wow. For footage, for footage that to me looks like it could have been shot in like less than a week for next to no money at all. Mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, half of it is, is the character of Creon sitting in a room talking. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, half a million dollars. That's so much money. It, it is, but it's like in, in the movie industry, it's, it's not. It's, it's still, not. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that time, it was a low budget film. At this time, it's a lower budget film, but things have changed so much because with video technology, you can do more with money, you can shoot faster. You know, yeah. a lot of th things are balanced differently so that it's possible to do films if you're very creative uh, that are good for next to no money. Yeah. Or you can just do films that aren't any good and still get them out there and people will watch them. So. That's true too, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, with all these like online platforms and stuff, I mean, I'll just scroll through, have no clue what a movie is. I'm like, eh, that sounds good. And turn it on and watch it. So that, that's <laughs> the thing too. It's like, I'm used to, you know, I used to, I'm a, I'm a film buff and a film historian. I know the history of movies. I can pretty much like talk about any kind of a movie from any time from mm -hmm. most countries. Uh, recently, I see stuff coming out and especially with the horror genre, it's just like, all right, here's a thousand movies I've never heard of. I have no reference point. They all look like they could be terrible or great. I, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's um, I think that's why there's so much, uh, as you're aware, I mean, people have to do self-promotion. You have to get out there. And I think personalizing it is the way to make that successful. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to really, to just... Uh, connect with the people who like your work. And that's also extremely gratifying. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And it's nice now, cause you know, like even, you know, meeting you, I met you on Facebook. Like a lot of the social media really helps you to connect with, you know, your directors and actors and producers and production yeah. companies. It really makes it easier to connect and also find work of people that you never would have heard of or find people that, you know, you yeah. never would have talked to. It's true and it's, uh, and I was, uh, I was very down on a lot of uh, most social media platforms for a long time, meaning I had had limited exposure to Facebook and I was not really thrilled with a lot of things about it. I'm still not, but, <laughs> now, I, but now I've been on it for six months. I have over a thousand friends, people like constantly contacting me for one thing or another. And that's, you know, that's great. Mm -hmm. And I, I realize how that can help me to maybe get some other things accomplished. Definitely. Um, but uh, originally, I uh, I had a very negative attitude towards social media, so I, I kept off. But I think I think the fact that I also now have this film that has finally come out uh, in a really pristine, gorgeous-looking print with a documentary explaining what went wrong, mm -hmm. and people are sort of becoming more and more aware of what happened, so that they can at the same time say, "Oh, well, I've always loved the film." But now that I've heard the whole story, I really have a different understanding. And that, I think, uh, really just provides a picture that I can live with as opposed to just the movie itself before anybody had any idea what happened. Yeah, yeah. Because um, like what you were saying before, um, before we start recording, is it's really picked up in the last year, right? As far as well, people the learning DVD, about it. The Blu-ray DVD set came out in uh, late November of last year. And you know, we did a signing event at the uh, Vinegar Syndrome headquarters. Uh, 
met by a very enthusiastic crowd. And uh, since that time, I mean, people, the thing is, it's a movie that lots of people had heard about. Mm -hmm. uh, you could not buy it uh, except uh, used or bootlegged, or uh, of course you could watch it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, but the film was not, uh, it, was got, it got a VHS release in this country in 86 and uh, then never again. And I, it's one of the things I didn't understand to tell the truth because the, the fellow I told you about, Michael Lee, the backer, mm -hmm. he released it numerous times in, in England under different labels and with different covers, but uh, he never again released it in the US where he obviously would have been able to make more money. Mm -hmm. It just never made any sense to us. And we still what, don't know why. Do you think that was to make it where you guys didn't know how much money he was making? Because it's harder to track over no, there than because I mean, I, you know, I mean, we, the, the, the information we got about how much money it was making could only sort of get second and third hand anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, if we had gotten it from him, he would have lied about it. So that he, he's not yeah. a good source. Yeah, uh, I can't trust anything he fucking says. <laughs> but I, it just didn't make sense to us because he was such a money-minded type. And yet, you know, he, the film had its, you know, last release in the 80s, never again. Um, wow. It just made no sense. Plus he was going, even when he released it on DVD in, in England, he was still going with the transfer he made for his original VHS release. So he never upped the quality of anything. In fact, his company, Vipco, was infamous for really uh, never really caring very much about the quality of, of, the, of the film that they put out. Oh, jeez. That. That's crazy. That's unfortunate, you know, and especially like, you know, like I was saying before, that was your story and you guys had the ideas you wanted and what you wanted to see on screen and that somebody came along and changed everything and made it their own. That's such bullshit. That's so disheartening. They, I think they played on, on the backers' insecurities. Mm -hmm. uh, there is also... <laughs> There is also the other, the side factor that, that the person who did this was for a time a very, in the, uh, let's see, in the late 80s specifically, just prior to this and, and, and after, was a fairly well-known porn actress. Oh, and okay. She, she also started <laughs> directing and she was editing in porn. And this is how, this was the background she came with to oh, present herself as the person to do this. <laughs> We suspect there may have been something else going on behind the scenes. Uh, probably. <laughs> For her to have that much pull on somebody who was such a jerk, that yeah. probably had something to do with it. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see any other way it could have happened. <laughs> because it, what I really didn't understand is how she could get him to like agree that, yes, you should cut, cut down the horror scenes so I can include the cat men. You know, it's it's uh, it's really to me. It, it, it there are probably lots of things that we'll just never know about how it wound up. Yeah, yeah. Is she still around? She's still around. They attempted to contact her for the documentary. Mm -hmm. She did not get back to them. <clears throat> she did get back to them just a few months ago after the disc was out. <laughs> after she saw uh, it. <laughs> I don't know if she's seen it. But they had asked her if she might still be willing to do an interview, and she said she would. This is and this is after I, and these are the guys who did the documentary, Glenn and Mike. Uh, and this is after I said to to Glenn, I believe it was that, uh, you know, hell, get her, get her, we'll get her on the uh, on the show, and I'll debate her live. About that would be did. awesome. <laughs> I know, and I'd still kind of like to do it, but I feel sort of 
weird about it, partially because there's, it's indefensible. There's no way she can defend what she did. Yeah. I mean, she can make all, all kinds of excuses and make, and she has, she, there are interviews with her that were published at the time uh, of the film's uh, initial release. The, um, ah, I forget the festival in France that it, it won the Delirium Award at oh. this uh, the French Science Fiction and Fantasy Film Festival. And she accepted the award in her, you know, as the director. And there's an interview from the time that I had translated. I I published part of it on my my Facebook page uh, a while back. But she just she goes out of her way to fabricate idea, you know, it, information. She claims she supervised the original directors. Um, it, it's and and beyond what she she alternates between talking like she knows what she's trying to sound like she knows what she's saying. And then at the same time saying, well, I really, I don't really know very much about horror movies. Mm. I, I wasn't really into them before doing this. Interesting. Jeez, that's horrible. Um, the movie business. It really is. You know, I mean, it's such a cutthroat place. It really is. It's, it's, and it's more than anything else. I mean, the two things that run this business are like ego and money. Mm -hmm. And then you've got people who just, want to do something for the sake of art primarily um, and I think all three are if that's what you want that's fine but um, in many cases I just uh, feel ego rules over everything that ultimately even people will screw themselves financially if their ego can prevail oh yeah definitely yeah I've learned a lot about the business being in it and it's like it's amazing I really didn't think people could be that way until you're in it and you're like Oh man! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would and never and I've, had I've had this that this this basic conversation a few times with people recently. That it's just like there's you reach a point where you've had enough experiences and you just try to be, you question humanity to some extent. It's like, yeah, how can people be this low? I mean, how there's so little to be gained and so much to be gained by treating people decently. Why would you do that? Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's very sad how people can be. You know, and I've I've always tried to, uh, you know, I look at everybody working on a film with me, especially if it's my film and if I'm one of the people in charge. It's like, I want everybody to feel involved. I want everybody to, like, be very enthusiastic about their work. I want mm -hmm. people to uh, feel like they have a stake in things. Yeah. You know, that makes a big difference. It really does, yeah. Um, I was talking to um, one of my other guests not too long ago, and we were talking about how a lot of people too will be in a movie, but they'll never promote it. And it's like, don't you want to promote your work? Don't you want to be proud of what you did? But they're just like, it ain't my job. Fuck off. And it's like, you should be promoting. That, like, what's wrong are with you? Are people famous enough not to care? I, the one, no, the ones that we we're kind of talking about or that we've seen, no, they're not famous enough to not care. They just I, I don't give a shit. I see. I can't believe people don't realize this at this point. Especially, I mean, I can see people, you know, my age or older, not quite understanding how important this is, just because they haven't grown up with it. But I mean, people have grown up with, uh, you know, social media in general. Uh, you know, for what YouTube, Facebook, what two thousand and five, two thousand. I don't remember when they, but they have yeah. both changed the way everything is done. It's like if you don't want to self-promote, then you really don't care enough about succeeding i think yeah oh no i totally agree because it's like that's how you promote a social media you know i mean the old model was yeah i i do the i do the job and then 
this person promotes it or these people promote it, but it, it just doesn't work like that. Anymore. There's still people doing that job for the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. But right now, I, uh, I also think people just appreciate the personal touch. You know, it's like if, if, if a big director puts something out on Facebook, people will go like, oh, wow. They, you know, if it's just a publicity release, it's, just, it's a publicity release. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just, oh, it's crazy. Um, so with the practical effects and stuff, did you, did you at least have a say so in that? Like how you wanted the monsters to be or how you wanted, or was that, that not is, what you right. envisioned? As I said, we, the story was pretty much dictated to us by our backer. Uh, and we, it was frustrating because we had a script, a health bomb we felt was a better concept. It was a similar type of thing. It was an old house movie. It was mm-hmm. a monster movie. But we had better characters. We had uh, more interesting themes and ideas. Uh, and Spookies was like, you know, as we were told, I want to film just like The Evil Dead, mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, but we realized, all right, we can still, if, if we can make this really terrific in terms of the monsters, the monsters are what's going to matter. That's what people are going to be talking about. That's what yep. people are going to want to see the film for. So that's where most of our energy and thought went. And I think in our original film, we pretty much succeeded because we, we certainly had too many monsters for the budget we were working with uh, of the sort that we had, meaning that you know, an enormous amount of time just spent in the makeup shop, an enormous amount of time spent on set trying to get something to work because you, you haven't had a chance to test it really. You know, it's mm-hmm. just made and it's supposed to do X, Y, and Z. And it's supposed to, you know, give you what you want. And then, you know, it just, it doesn't quite work out. And I, yeah. I went through that, this and on, on Street Trash, it was like even more so. I mean, it's, on Street Trash, we were figuring out, uh, have you seen Street Trash? I couldn't find that one, so I pulled it up on Probably not, Amazon. I don't know if it's on YouTube, but uh, it's a, Street Trash is a film in which people uh, uh, melt. From and, the, the, uh, and we from were figuring the, out like how to do a lot of the effects as we were doing them because there, you know, nobody had done exactly this type of thing before, and so whatever we came up with was, uh, you know, was sort of what we shot, uh, and we and it worked out fine as far as I'm concerned. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, I want to watch it. I read the concept on it. I was like, oh, that sounds really good. And I started looking for it. And I'm like, I can't find it. <laughs> I, feel, I feel proud of it. It came out pretty much as intended. It's, I think it's really very creative in almost every aspect. Uh, I think it's fun. It's also like absolutely tasteless. And it's still like shocking <laughs> today. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely be, I'll find it somewhere. I'm going to search for it because it sounds really good. All right, well, if you still have a problem, get in touch with me. Okay. I will for sure. Dang. And then that released in 1987, correct? Yeah. Okay. And then that's one that you acted in. Did you write uh, it as yeah. well? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I, uh, I was brought into it as a production manager and line producer. And, uh, and then to my shock, uh, Roy Frumkis, who was the uh, central producer and was the screenwriter, said, oh, I wrote you a part. <laughs> and I and I read the script, like and he said. Well, I, th- I thought you, this would be perfect for you. You're really good with physical comedy, and and you, and um, and one of our I remember one of our makeup effects people, uh, Jennifer Aspinall, who has uh, in the years since gotten you know won awards and Emmys and has done makeup for Saturday Night Live and for wow. many television shows and films. Uh, she read the script and said, 
this is a joke, right? You're not going to shoot this, are you? He's like, we are we so were sure, shooting We that. were sure, yes, this was going to be shot, so. <laughs> and what happened to you? <laughs> um, I'm, I am uh, dismembered. In fact, it's actually, <laughs> the actual on-screen credit for the character is dismembered bum. <laughs> dismembered bum. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I definitely need to watch it. It sounds really good, and the the s story isn't anything I've heard before. So I was like, "Oh, that sounds oh, it's good." Interesting because, and I was just I was just talking to someone about this uh, yesterday. That uh, when Street Trash came out, it was we knew it was full of bad taste and and very offensive. It was intentionally that way. Yeah, yeah. It was like we were really sort of saying, "All right, let's not." put any you know it was written that way but it was even while we were shooting it was like all right let's not put any limits on it or let's overdo it and see if we can get away with it and for <laughs> almost everything and there was no reason not to do that yeah. and at the time uh, a lot of the, the reviewers and people who saw it were seriously upset by it when we we did a premiere at the uh, the Ziegfeld theater in New York City which was uh, for years like the best theater as far as I'm concerned in mm -hmm. terms of screen size and sound and seats um and we invited everyone connected with the film and their families and said, we filled this theater. And every 10 minutes, there was a melting scene and it seemed like a hundred people walked out of the theater. Oh my God. Because they were just, it was like, oh my God, I can't take this. And this, it's not exactly realistic gore. I mean, people are melting in blues and yellows and things uh -huh. like that. Uh, but they were very upset by that and the general tastelessness. I mean, uh, grungy characters, everybody's dirty, etc. And people were offended by what they deemed gore, although I, considering that it's like, you know, like it's, it's like pastel colors and stuff. I don't know what oh it's really <laughs> But the interesting thing is in recent years, I've had people, mostly younger people, tell me that the film upset them because it, it, it put the homeless in a very poor light. Jeez. Because it takes place amongst a community of homeless people. Yeah. And I, I lived in New York and I, lived, I, I more or less lived amongst the actual homeless. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, they were always around, and it's not like, I, I mean, I thought we put them in a much better light than a lot of people on the street. Yeah. Um, and I found it interesting that they had to, like, they were going for some kind of, like, social justice reaction or something to this aspect of the movie. Plus, it's a comedy, so we're making fun of everybody in this film, and it's not, you know, it's like, what are you making fuss over this for? But it's, you know, it's not the first time. <laughs> well, it's a phrase, oh, it's like the spider lady in in Spookies, uh -huh. right? In just the past year, never heard this before, a couple of people bring up, oh, well, gee, it's unfortunate that they fell back on the stereotype of the Asian spider woman. Oh, And I thought, gosh. wait a minute, wait a minute. They're the only spider woman that I know of. First of all, there's spider woman legends in many cultures. Uh -huh. There are actually spider woman legends in Chinese and Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. But... The woman who played the part, who was Korean, just happened to be the person we cast. We weren't casting for an Asian person. We wanted yeah. someone with an exotic, different look. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is no stereotype, and there is no version of a Spider Woman that's ever been, that's ever come out of American culture or entertainment that I can think of. Mm -hmm. So where people get this idea? Just stupid people find a reason to complain. You know, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm used to that type of thing, but I, you know, I still get little surprises like that. It's like, oh, gee, I'm, I'm actually politically correct uh, all these years, or incorrect all these years later. 
Mm-hmm. It's like 20 something years later and they got to find that one little thing in there that bothers them. Which is fine with me. I, I, I really am concerned that people are going to stop making films with things that might offend people because I think you, yeah. I personally, I like to see films that provoke me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, that was kind of like the whole point in horror. It's to, it's stuff that would hopefully, you know, like never happen. And you like that. You like the gore factor. You like the surprises. You like, you know, shit that just really wouldn't happen. And I've never looked at a horror film and been like, oh my gosh, that offends me. I can't believe that they did that. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I'm offended if something's, you know, really stupid or bad. Uh, I mean, to me, the films I most get offended by are films that are just conceived in, in cynicism, meaning uh, yeah. there's no real creativity or passion or anything. It's just like, it's either just a money thing or, you know, or it's somebody who, uh, again, it's, you know, it's ego. It's somebody who wants their name on a film as the director. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I'll, I, you know, I, cause I see some of these films now, these very low budget uh, uh, films that people are making. In fact, I had a, a guy talk to me yesterday about a film he's making uh, that he was, he asked me if the title was too tasteless. And oh. I said, what's the film about? And I said, well, no, considering how tasteless what you just told me is, the title you have is fine. It, it's perfect for the audience you're going for. It's a $300 film, oh. right? Uh-huh. But I like to be able to, to, to talk to someone like that and encourage them and give them, you know, if, if they want my advice, I'm, I'm really thrilled to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's you nice know, that they're think, coming to you too and asking. That's that's. Well, it is, and it's nice. and it's interesting to me too because it's like I've even asked people, uh, like, what do you think the barriers are, the limits are these days? Are they, you know, uh, their political correctness has made things different in that respect? Mm-hmm. But is is something, you know, is there something you shouldn't show or can't show? I mean, I think I think you can almost always tell when when somebody's trying to cross a line. Yeah, you know, you see something and you go, "Oh!" And sometimes it's just stupid, and you go, "Oh, all right." They were trying to be really offensive, and it's it's just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I also think I don't think you have to strive for being offensive. I think if you're telling a, a horrific story, you theoretically you should be coming up with stuff that just naturally is offensive to human sensibilities in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want it to be too comfortable. Yeah. No, definitely not. You know, and I'd rather see something um, that tries to take things in a different direction or maybe, you know, goes in some weird extreme way that uh, instead of seeing the same thing over and over again, I get, uh, that is one of my frustrations with all these, you know, new direct-to-video little movies that come out. There's so many of them just seem to be 8,000 versions of the same movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and that's always been part of of the horror genre. There's always imitations of imitations. Uh, but at the moment, it's just like, you know, why would you aspire to do that? In other words, why not just do something a little different? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that so many times. Like, people, you know, want to have an original story or an original idea, but so many directors, etc., or writers are writing exactly the same story someone else did, just doing it a little tiny bit different. And you can always see it. You're like, well, that's the same as that. Well, I mean, like, or... just, you know, getting back to what I said about Spookies earlier, it's, I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll look at a, a cover, a, de- um, a video cover, and check the synopsis. And the synopsis begins with a group of teenagers, dot, <laughs> dot, dot. 
Yep. <laughs> Find themselves lost in this haunted house. <laughs> right. And, I, and I've asked this of like a number of people, but I mean, even I, as a teenager or as a kid, I think I probably, in, in most cases, especially with something like horror films, I, I identified with, with adult characters. I wasn't looking for people my own age to necessarily identify with. Yeah. I mean, I think in seeing a horror movie, you sort of realize, when you're young at least, that you're having sort of an adult experience when you first start to see this type of film. That's, yeah, that's true too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, the whole, the whole cliche of the teenagers to be killed. I think it's just, I think, I think that they just provide good killing fodder is, is the only reason, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not because the audience identifies them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, so as far as with the effects and stuff, was, was a lot of that hard to do? Um, okay, so you, like when the girl is playing kind of like, not a Ouija board, but that board where she had the little thing right. or whatever, and she just like turned into that creepy monster. Was that kind of well, stuff well, super it is a Ouija board. It's our, it's our own design for a Ouija board. Okay, okay. And because that's why we, she was kind of explaining the Ouija board. Because we were told to come up with an original design because we were, there was worry about being sued if we used the traditional design. Yeah, which that makes sense. Which, which I've seen in about a hundred other movies. Right. There's even like movies called Ouija. <laughs> with Ouija boards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like the makeup like hers and then um, even like the little creatures and stuff, was that super right. hard to do or did it? Oh yeah, I mean we had a crew, uh, amazingly almost all the effects people that worked on Spookies uh, later went on to major careers in That's effects. Cool. Uh, there was uh, Gabe Bartalos, who's also uh, well known for, uh, he's done like most of the Basket Case movies, done most of, uh, uh, let's see, he did the Leprechaun series. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, Gabe is like, you know, he's, he's one of the, the, the people at the top of the industry, at least as far as I'm concerned. That's awesome. Good for him. But then there was also, I mean, uh, Vincent Guastini, who, uh, worked uh, essentially as, as an effects assistant, but has gone on to become like a major effects guy, you know, heading his own shop, working on lots of major movies, TV shows. Uh, Jennifer Aspinall, who I've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, who else? Uh, Tom Molinelli, uh, who was a designer who I just sort of met around that time and I brought him into our project. And he proved to be, he designed a lot of the, the sets and built them. Um, and, uh, and actually nowadays does, uh, does makeup on, on, on big, genuine Hollywood movies. That's super cool. So I, I, I think we picked like some really good people. I mean, we, mm -hmm. there, uh, I felt, I, I felt good about like the design. Um, as I said, we had a lot of trouble at times getting effects to work because we were pretty much, you know, the experimenting was like, you know, going in front of the camera because we didn't know all the time what yeah. the results would be. Sometimes something had to be fixed up very quickly or, or somehow uh, you know, made usable uh, at a certain time based on our schedule. It's, uh, it's a real trial and error process. Mm -hmm. um, if I was to do another effects picture now, I would, put, I would budget for just a period of experimentation with any of the, the creatures yeah. if you're doing these practical effects. You know, they have to work as well as possible. 
Yeah. So that you can rely on them instead of instead of knowing that each time you say action, there, there's, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you're like, oh, it might work, it might not. <laughs> and some stuff you can't fix right away either. And when you're on like a no, time you limit can't. and a budget, and the thing is, you you wind up shooting like you know different takes and cutting different angles, and you you can fix it in the editing. But for me, that type of stuff works best when you can have extended shots of something. It makes it it gives it more presence and reality if you just do quick one and two second shots i i think you feel cheated and you sort of know the filmmakers couldn't carry it off mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's how a lot of it is cut now with uh, the final the the, the miss joseph uh, cut of the film god that sucks so bad and you were saying you don't have the footage to be able if you get the right no, no, back to be able the to question everyone asks and as far as we know the footage went back to england with the backer when he was last asked about it, which was in the past couple of years, it's like, oh no, all that stuff is, is gone. It's destroyed. God, that's horrible. I mean, that's what happens most of the time. I mean, understand that most films are made and then after they're cut and released, they just scrap everything else. So nobody knows that, oh gee, we might want to come back and recut this someday. Mm -hmm. Studios do tend to keep a lot of their old material. And that's why we sometimes now get know much older films that suddenly there's a, a new cut or a new version yeah and like extended release and you know behind the scenes footage and stuff like that and i think nowadays they understand this so they probably hold on to everything mm -hmm. just in case yeah well because like movies will be popular or they won't be popular and then all of a sudden years later they just like get super big and everybody's into them and this and that so it's right no it happens all the time i mean look i had I sort of felt that if Spooky's ever got out on a on a good quality disc release with you know right the right extras and the right package, that it would be well received. But the reception has been better than I expected in terms of just so many people are just wild about the movie and and it's like for a while when people would years ago people would come to me and say oh Spooky's I've seen that I love it I'd be like mm -hmm. um, what's wrong with you. <laughs> I, well, I really think the 80s movies are coming back to where, you know, all of us in the horror field, we are love, we love that old, just, yes. it takes you back to that time. You love the practical effects because everything now is so CGI'd and yes, it's good and it's great, but there's just something different with practical effects. And I, I, think, I think that we love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear this over and over again, almost all horror fans would share your view. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that the uh, the CGI, as you said, it can look excellent. It can also look incredibly bad because it looks over realistic. It, yes. It's like, and that's the that's the problem I frequently have is like when my when my brain is saying, "All right, nothing like this ex that you've ever seen exists in reality. Nothing looks like this." Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's like uh, it, there's frequently too much detail, for instance, and in you know in real life, if you saw this thing in a room you would not see these details. You would not have the chance to see these details. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and the, I think the practical effects creatures have a presence. They're just, they're there. Whatever you can mm -hmm. say about them, no matter how phony and rubber they look, they are, they are there in front of you. You know mm -hmm. that. Yep. Yep, exactly. So I think that makes a difference. And in some cases, I think it, you know, it's fine anyway. I mean, some of, some of the stuff in Spookies, uh, you know, can look a little goofy and I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. And a lot of the times, Effects can look not realistic, but still be fine, be perfectly appropriate for what, mm -hmm. whatever the film is. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so like the creatures, um, like the little one that was like, I think it said mama or something like that. Was that a oh, puppet? Uh, that's, like, not, that's not one of ours. That whole zombie okay. chase. 
That was all added later. Oh, in fact, okay. In fact, m many of the creatures that appear in that scene were cr either creatures. We um, we fired one of our makeup people, whose name I mentioned earlier, but I won't tell you again, <laughs> because he was turning in work that was just absolutely unusable. Oh, and and he was rehired to do the reshoot. Oh. And he brought like the you know basically the contents of his workshop, like all the these heads and other things that he had. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a lot of the stuff that appears in that scene is just like busts and, and torsos and, and stuff from his workshop oh, that was thrown okay. in there. And that, and that particular moment, that's the, to me, that's, that's the absolute lamest moment of the entire movie. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, oh God, what a cringy. Uh, <laughs> But at least everybody loves it, you know, but, you know, whenever you are living it and you know what got cut and you know how it could have been and you know what you originally wrote, that's right. when you're I like, mean, the, the, the greatest frustration is just that we, you know, I mean, this wasn't the only film we wanted to make and it really stood in the way of, I mean, I did, you know, I went on to make Street Trash after Spookies and I continued to work in the industry for years, but I could not get to the point of getting another feature film financed, mm -hmm. you know, in part because Spookies was something I had to at least for, for many years, had to disown to some degree. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but things are very different now. <laughs> um, as you said, 80s horror is, I mean, not just 80s horror, but it just seemed all, all movies from the 80s yes. for, for the nostalgia factor. And, and just, I think, because um, movies, you know, even though they've become so technically slick, not just CGI, but other things are easier to do now mm -hmm. than, than they were for so many years. Video just changed a lot of the, the visuals and textures. Um, I think uh, there's just a lot that you get out of older films. And this, you know, and I think this is true of like, not just the 80s, but all older films. There's different textures and feelings and lighting and, and just, you know, every period I think has its own uh, charms and every, mm -hmm. every uh, type of, uh, of film uh, can, you know, can be, you know, like you have, you have different genres and different errors and I think horror feels different every 10 years or so. For yeah. tactical reasons, for aesthetic reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that the technology being so easy makes a lot of filmmakers lazy nowadays. Definitely, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I, I, certain visual cliches, it's just uh, painful to see them trotted out time after time. <laughs> you know, especially anything involving a, a little bit of, uh, you know, CGI trickery or whatever that, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I guess, um, I, as, I, as I think I said earlier, I, I dislike anything turned out in, in cynicism or just something done by rote and just, you know, it's like, let's, let's churn out another McDonald's hamburger because that's what the public wants. Yeah. That, that yep. type of an attitude. Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, how you were saying like the nostalgia, you know, everybody wants that. Everybody, have you noticed that a lot of like the indie films are now being released on VHS? So they have the DVD and then the VHS and everybody wants the VHS. It's like you want that feeling. There's for a while, there has been a big revival of interest in VHS. And I think it's, mm -hmm. you know, for the obvious reason, it's what people grew up with. Yeah. They have this very fond memory of going to the video store and, and being part of that type of a thing. Um, but uh, that was going on. In fact, Spookies was, I forget exactly what year, there's a fellow named uh, Dustin Ferguson. Yeah. Who, oh, I was going to say. Yeah, I know who he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should interview him. 
Um, he makes um, like, you know, cheapy movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what seems like hundreds a year, but I don't think it's that many quite. <laughs> but, but, he's, but he's been very successful. He's cultivated an audience. Mm-hmm. He has people who are into his movies who are waiting for them. He's done yeah. numerous sequels to his own movies. He's bought, in some cases, rights to older movies and made new sequels to them. Uh, he's very, very enterprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know which ones as far as the sequels. I didn't know he did that, that he... But what I was going to say is he, he did a bootleg cut of Spookies with just our original scenes. Oh, you know, cool. It, it's like 46 minutes long, but it's just our scenes. I think it may be on YouTube, actually. Nice. Okay, I'll have to check that out, too. And so how did he get just your scenes? Did you, like, tell him, yeah, you know, this is ours? copy and redid it, but, but he also sold it on VHS. Oh, okay. Which is fine with me. I, it's like, I'm, I'm, at this point, you know, with Spookies, it's like, if you want to bootlegs and pirate Spookies, like, go ahead, everybody else has. Yeah, that sucks, though, but yeah, I get it. Um, as far as the documentary, did you have any... I guess, say so in that, or was it just somebody said, I, hey, I'm going to do a documentary? They contacted and... me, and I pretty, I mean, cause, and they were, you know, they contacted everybody they could who was connected with the film, but mm-hmm. I really had the repository of, I had all the record, the production records, I had most of the still photographs, I had, I had wow. really, the, you know, the vast majority of any physical materials that were still around, mm-hmm. and so I spent, like, the next five or six months just like uh, scanning stuff and and writing out you know in detail the information about certain things and how they happened and what may, what they may have heard that was wrong and everything else i mean it really just uh you know they they involved me quite a bit and uh and without my ever asking because it didn't occur to me they gave me uh, an associate producer wow oh good that's cool that you had all that still you know so you kind of held on to everything no I, I i look i'm i'm, I'm a film buff and I understand the significance of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. At the same time, because of my own feelings about uh, Twisted Souls slash Spookies and the way it turned out, I, you know, I couldn't take myself seriously, if, 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 this, if this makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, uh, everybody else's films are historically important, but you know, Spookies, it's, you know, I, I really didn't, it did, I, I kept all this stuff, but it wasn't like I felt, that I, I never got the impression somebody was going to be asking for it someday. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe eventually, like, you know, I figured like, you know, like when I'm 99, someone will want the Spookies archives, but it's happening fortunately before that. That's cool. That's good. Yeah, like yeah, I told that's, you, that's how I found it, you know. And, people I, and I have a real favor of things. I mean, I try to hold on to anything that I can, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I think I did have a lot, of, and, and it's either, it's, they either use it in the documentary or the selection of stills that are on the Blu-ray. Um, but I was really happy to be able to provide that because I think without it, there would be far less that people were aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So with it having um, kind of resurfaced, do you still get like royalties and stuff from that? Or is it just kind of... Here's the other sad part of the story. No royalties. We were paid cash for the work we did. Um, we were paid remarkably little cash and then uh, when we, we did go over schedule a bit, uh, we did not wind up getting paid for, for the weeks we went over schedule because we had agreed to take block, you know, sums of money for, for the jobs. Uh, so, like, really very little money was made. I mean, it, it's so, um, 
it, it's it's insane how much work we did and how little we got paid. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is it that money was needed for so many other things in the movie that our salaries kept getting pared down and uh, mm -hmm. you know and not that we paid anybody you know great uh, sums of money on that movie but the, most of the, the crew was getting better paid than we were. Yeah. Yep, and then it comes out of your pocket to get some other stuff done that you need. Well, I mean, it was more important for us to get the film made than, you know, than to make a, you know, a profit for working on the film at the time. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Um, are you, are you working on anything now or is there anything in the I future? Am of, that... I am, of course, working on something now because uh, this, this has provided the new doorway to whatever uh, might happen. And so I'm working on a follow-up to Spookies, which has really very little to do with Spookies in any way. It's another uh -huh. monster movie. Um, I am almost done. I, uh, I, ha I probably have enough material for a screenplay, but I'm writing it in the form of a, a treatment, just like a story treatment mm -hmm. as opposed to a full script. And I'm almost done with that. And I think it's, and it's based on a lot of ideas left by my, my late partner, Tom Doran, who I'm really happy to still be able to involve in some way. Yeah. But this is sort of, it, it's, it's intended, uh, it's an intentional horror comedy. And, and, it, and I have to say it's epic. It's probably, my, it's probably gonna be deemed too expensive when I first start showing it to people. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a great idea and a great concept. And if we could actually do it, I think it could make uh, a lot of people happy. Hell yeah. Well, even just with the following that you have right now, and it is resurfacing, and everybody is loving it, and you were the writer on Spookies, I mean, I'm sure someone's going to want to pick that up. Well, the business is bizarre. You never know who's going to want to do what. You know, I mean, yeah. stuff, uh, things that should happen just never happen, and then people who have uh, no reputation, no background, and no connection suddenly get handed millions of dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's weird how that works. <laughs> it's like you just never know. No, you don't. <laughs> I, I uh, you know, and I question, uh, you know, a lot of times how, my, my first question when I see somebody is making a film is like, all right, where did they get the money? Yep. Because, <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot of, if it, you know, there's a big difference between you, you crowdfunded it, uh, a production company gave it to you, uh, your dad gave it to you, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, it's just a wide range. And, you know, some of those things are, are enormous struggles and others are no struggle at all. Yeah. Yep. That's the same with, you know, I'm an author, so I'm an actress and an author, but with my books, it's like, all it takes is that one person to see it that can get you up there at the top. And exactly. it's, it's so hard. It's like, you see all these stories, you know, even like Stephanie Meyer with Twilight and, you know, Harry Potter, or JK Rowling's, it's like, they just, they got lucky. Hold on. Yeah. Go ahead. Play all of a sudden. Do you have an animal there? I have three of them and my oh. little one just decided she wanted to like start chewing on her toy. So I'll oh, cut that part they? out. What are they? Um, I have a Pomeranian Chihuahua. Done. Gosh dang it, Owen. Hold <laughs> out. Okay, hold on. That like never happens. So I have a long haired Chihuahua, Chihuahua Pomeranian, and a pit bull. And now she's wanting to play. Stop. She never does that. This is like the one time she's ever done this. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sure if she could, she would rip my throat out for distracting you. No, she's so sweet. Well, she barks a lot, but she's really nice. They're all so nice, but they're uh -huh. like, mom, <laughs> they want attention. Yeah. Okay. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> okay. 
Um, but what I was, oh God, what was I saying? I forgot. Oh, about JK Rowling. Um, yeah. so, you know, like with books and stuff, they have these stories where, you know, like JK Rowling was living on the street and she was homeless and she had, you know, single mom and all this. And she just had that one person that picked her book up and look at her now, you know, she's a billionaire. And even Stephanie Meyer, she wrote just because just for fun. And I guess her story was in a slush pile and the, um, publisher's kid pulled it out and was like, I want you to publish this. So it's like, you know, if, if you could just get that one person to see your stuff, they can just get you up there so big. And it's like, we it's all true. want that. And the thing is, it's like, you have to realize in some ways, those stories are, are similar to stories about people winning the lottery, meaning, true. you know, the odds are high against that happening to everybody. Yeah. But it, it's just all the more reason for things like, as we discussed earlier, promote yourself, you know, get your name out there, get your work out there. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, one person will like it, they'll, they'll show it to another, they'll show it to another. It does happen. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, it's uh, if it's done in the traditional way, it's easier to get something out there and create mass awareness if you have a lot of money behind marketing and publicity. Yeah. But you can do quite a bit with, with no money if you wanted to spend the time and, and learn how to work social media. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so bad at that part because it's like, you know, I do have a publisher and they are amazing. I'm so happy they picked me up. But man, that like promoting is the hardest because I can't it force is. people to look at it and I can't force people to buy it. And it's, I only have so much reach. It's been my biggest weakness in terms of my career. I'm very bad at like, for instance, asking people for money. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and, and I always hesitate when asking someone to read my work, mostly because I spent so much time for many years submitting scripts to production companies or, or uh, producers and just getting stuff out there and waiting forever for it to be read mm -hmm. because that's just how things work. Meaning that uh, most scripts, even if they say they're going to read them, they're probably going to take a long, long time to read that. Yeah. hundred other scripts before that. And in general, in the business, um, people don't like to read and they don't, they don't have the time to yeah so it's um i often wonder how some scripts get into production but then if you take into account the fact that they hate to read so often mm -hmm. that i wonder in many cases if the actual producers of certain films have read the script or they've just listened to everybody talk about it, having read the script mm -hmm. you know because sometimes you wonder did, did, did somebody actually supervise this and try and fix the problem with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, I totally, totally agree. But you know, it's like all we need is just that one person and we'll be good. <laughs> no, absolutely. You just, you know, you, you, the thing is nowadays you can have, you can start to have like, even if it's just like minuscule, you can start to have followers. You can start to have fans. You can, you know, it's, it's possible for almost anybody just from that spark to get word out there mm -hmm. and get people enthusiastic about your work. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and bear in mind, I mean, I, I didn't even want to do it at all myself until very recently because I felt, I, uh, I mean, quite honestly, I felt like an imposter. It's like I, I couldn't just say, yeah, we made this film and it turned out great and I'm so proud of it. It was mm -hmm. so much the opposite. And when you start, when you present your work by making excuses for it, I, I just don't think you're doing yourself any favors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that your script hits it big time because that would be awesome you deserve it well i've got I, I i'm really 
I, I find this concept that I'm, I'm working with exciting. I think it's different. I, don't, I can't think of another horror movie quite like it mm -hmm. or horror comedy. And um, it's just a matter of convincing somebody uh, because I was recently, I was, I was advised by someone who's, who I've, I trust not to, not to, to budget anything like this for over $2 million just because the market is so is unpredictable you know i mean the fact is that like right now you're talking about all these movies that are out there in video uh -huh. you really don't know which one was produced for $50 and which one was produced for 20 million dollars that's true in many cases mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's a hard thing to to do in in terms of an effects picture you know, to try and keep it down 2 million would probably be plenty to make to say remake spookies Mm -hmm. or, or Twisted Souls nowadays. Mm -hmm. But this new thing that I'm writing is, is a little more elaborate and, and uh, it's, a, it's a horror adventure. It's, it's, it's different than, than so many things. I'm, I'm, I want to get it out there. We, I need to get reactions. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So do you have it finished enough to where you're ready to present or is it- I am just at the tail end of it. I'm mostly just like nice. going back over it to, to see what details I've managed to miss or leave mm -hmm. out. Um, it's 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 interesting because as I told you, I'm going by these notes left by my my late partner, and he left enough so that, that I could get a sense of the type of story he wanted to tell, but I've also had to like just invent a lot of things and and yeah. make connections between things and and a character would get like you know two lines of descriptions, but I have to really fill in the blanks and how does this character impact the story. Um, and it's also been convenient because I live in a small town upstate. I live in Catskill, New York. Oh, and uh, and, the, and the, the piece that my partner left me would take place in like a small rural town. So I've just been thinking in terms of, of my town, in terms of how this should play. And, and I've even, uh, there are people I know who I've uh, borrowed to create characters. Cool. To some extent. Yeah, it's, it's been really kind of a fun thing. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I can't wait until you get it out there and then we can... You know, I mean, the, the real pleasure in being able to do it, if, if, if it should happen, is simply to make something that would be hopefully up to the standards that we had in mind with Twisted Souls, but, but also with literally dozens of scripts we wrote after that that never quite got financed. I mean, I, mm -hmm. you know, for years, I, I got stuff out there. I optioned scripts. I got stuff into development in places. I got financing almost like it, again and again, but that, yeah. that happens that's every, to everybody. Yep. <laughs> yep, definitely. You, know, you always you always have to believe it can happen no matter how many times you failed. Yeah. Yep, and not give up and just keep going for it. You know, and I you know, and I have a fair amount of confidence in my, my creative abilities. Um my partner Tom, who I, I keep mentioning, is really he was one of the most creative people I'd ever met. I mean, I think he was just brilliant. He would come up with like one original idea after another. Mm -hmm. you know, right? At one point, he sent me something in an email, and he said, "Look, please stop me. I can't keep doing this. I I have enough projects that I can't make." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think you'll um, try some of those again? We may. He has a couple. I mean, I have I have a huge backlog of projects, and he does also. So, and I'm uh, his uh, his wife is uh, somebody I'm in touch with like every week as I'm writing this this thing currently. Okay. And I think he has, I mean, he has a number of ideas that I, I think are still worth trying to pursue mm -hmm. one way or another. Uh, he, 
he had a, uh, a historical uh, horror movie that he wanted to make in Scotland. Ooh. And spent like a lot of time trying to like, romance people and get something going. And he got he connected with a guy over there that was very interested in it. He was wanted to raise money, was just on the verge, sent him a contract. And, and then he suddenly hears, oh, well, there's this hot young director who uh, somebody says we should hire because they, they won an award at a festival somewhere. And, and, and my immediate response was, all right, if, if, this, if he's such a hot young director, where is his hot young script? Yep, exactly. Um, and so that, and Tom just like walked out of that. He just said, all right, I, I, my, my bottom line from the start was, I'm, I wanna write and direct this film. Everything else is negotiable. Yeah, yep. Because you don't want to go through what you went through with Spookies. There's no point, and I think it's also um, we don't want to just make films for the sake of making films. We have we actually have things we like to communicate or say, or things we want to visualize, or feelings we want to communicate to people in the audience. I, mm -hmm. I, um, I, there's so many films that people make that I would I would be upset if I had made them in, in, in terms of just how I feel, I, you know, in other words, I, as I've said previously, I think people just, they want, they want their name on the screen. They want to get a, a credit on a movie. They want the fame. They want the praise. They, they want, uh, you know, people to come to them and tell them how much they love their work or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that's like a side effect. Uh, I'm always thrilled and I'm always, but I'm always, especially with Spookies, it's been somewhat surprising how, how affectionate people are. Yeah. Yep. It's definitely, definitely out there. And I think that you could go really far with this next script just because everybody is knowing who you are right now. I know. And that's why I've got to get this out there as soon as I can. Um, I'm getting uh, a little frustrated. I don't, uh, I feel like my, uh, my partner who's still living, Brendan Faulkner is interested in working on a sequel, but okay. he's com like completely internet illiterate and I'm <laughs> sort of doing everything myself. Yeah. Uh, and so like, uh, just the fact that I, and, I and, and you asked me earlier if I was on Instagram. Yes, I am, but I haven't expanded to Instagram yet because I barely have enough time to keep up with Facebook. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and it, it's like, it both is, are so different too, you it know? Is, and I feel it's, it's uh, really uh, required of me to be responsive and to like, you know, communicate with people when I, you know, and I make a point of anybody, you know, anybody wants to friend me, I, I, I thank them. I really want to tell them I appreciate the fact that they're supporting me. It, it, you know, it, it means a lot. And I want, you know, any person who I communicate with to feel I've given them at least some personal attention if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's going to help as well because people love that. You know, we like being able to connect to the people. Oh, well, the idea of, of my, my having uh, some amount of fame at this morning, moment is hilarious to me. Is what? It's hilarious. It's just, uh, it just seems like, you know, like, all right, you know, like you, you, you went like most of your life, you made this film and now suddenly you're famous for it. Aww. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. No, it's better now than, than uh, you know, like 40 years from now when it wouldn't make too much difference to me. Exactly, yep. It's never too late. <laughs> well, it proves that, that it isn't, but um, I mean, we're fortunate also that uh, the Blu-ray came out at, at uh, at this exact time, which is it's probably the peak of, of revival of interest in 80s horror. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it just yeah. seems like uh, I'm, I'm a big fan and I've seen like so many movies and I see everything I can. 
and yet there's still new movies coming out on disc I've never heard of from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to think, oh, gee, I know everything, and I don't. <laughs> You're still learning. <laughs> well, it changes no, all I, the I time, just, you know. I just think in some cases, movies that got very little release or distribution have resurfaced, um, you know, and the big difference is just that almost everything is in excellent quality. And, and mm-hmm. for years, you know, you're used to seeing, as if you watch these Spookies VHS, it's not really the finest quality. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now everything's getting remastered and cleaned up with whatever they use to do it. And it's nice. But I will definitely be getting Spookies on VHS or DVD because I want to, I want to see it in all its glory. <laughs> Well, it's a Blu-ray. I think. I think. I think it's. Blu-ray. I think it's available in Blu-ray and D- uh, DVD, and I forget whether they come together uh, or not. But okay. I'd recommend the Blu-ray because the Blu-ray yeah. is like it knocked my eyes out when I saw it. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'll get the Blu-ray. So I will find that when we get off here. <laughs> so I really, really want to have it. Um, so now we're reaching the end of the show, and this is your time to let everybody know where to find you, um, how to connect to you. And if there's anything uh, the easiest that you want way to, to connect with me is directly on Facebook under my name, Frank Farrell. Uh, last name spelled F as in Frank, A R E L. Pronounced like Farrell the singer, as, as we discussed. <laughs> um, and I am, uh, you know, I mean, among other things, I, uh, I can't tell you how many, a large percentage of people that have been in touch with me recently are filmmakers. I mean, like an That's enormous awesome. number. And That's so many amazing. people have said, oh, you know, you're, I saw your film. I always loved it since I was a kid. It's been inspirational mm-hmm. to me. And uh, I'm and I'm glad to have been able to to do, to do that. Um, and I, but I do hope we get to, to do another film. I'd like to do a film where I actually felt all right. This is the film we intended, mm-hmm. even if it's terrible. Then we can own up to it being terrible. But it needs to be the film that is intended from the start. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I I'd like to be um, as as my partner Tom used to say. You know about spookies that he felt like you know there was no way that you know for for people to say you know to call it a bad movie and to think we were responsible for it there's no way uh to get away around from uh, that i mean unless Mm -hmm. you know you have to provide a long detailed explanation in most cases to make someone understand yeah yeah which is why they need to get the documentary so they can hear some of that (laughs) we we won the uh the rondo hat and uh the rondo hatton award the Award for best DVD extra for the documentary. Oh, cool! Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> That's great. But um, so, Facebook. Are you on Twitter at all, or just? I just am Facebook? not on Twitter. I uh, Twitter sucks. It's hard. <laughs> I well, first of all, I don't know if Twitter would necessarily be advantageous to me, uh, but I, I I need to decide that I guess in the near future. But as I've already said, I, where am I going to get all the time? I mean, right now, yeah. I'm writing most of the time. I'm also in the middle of moving. I'm moving to another place across town. Oh, man. <laughs> in, uh, two weeks. And so I'm packing and stuff. Ugh. And I'm trying to write this this uh, film treatment. And I, I really, um, I right now, if, if I had someone working full time, just, just handling my Facebook account, I think they'd be completely occupied. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you have one way for people to get a hold of you. And Facebook is like the biggest one ever right now anyway, yeah. so. But so, what, yeah. what, I was, what I was just about to say there is simply that I'm looking to get fans and people who want to be involved. I'd like to get a good number of them involved with anything that we did as a follow-up. Definitely, well, and it's, it's getting there, so that's good, you know. 
I, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Thanks to people like yourself, uh, the oh, work continues you. to get out. Yeah, definitely. And then, um, so real quick, I'm going to just run through my thanks real fast and okay. then um, we'll close it out. But I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been fun and you're, you're so smart and it's just awesome to hear how so everything smart. happened. I haven't been called smart in a while. Oh, we'll see. You are. You're, so, you're just very intelligent. <laughs> thank you. I know that, but you know, it's like I can't brag about it or anything. <laughs> I'll just say it for you. You are so Thank intelligent. You. <laughs> you're, well, you're very sweet and you're bright yourself. And you. um, I would like to come back to your show at some point. That'd be great. Definitely. Yeah, I would love to have you on. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, so I want to thank Crazy Ink Publishing with um, for publishing my books. I have right now, I have two. So Broken Halo and oh. Broken Halo Blood Curse. Wonderful. Yeah. And then my third one is currently in editing right now. It's called Broken Halo Witches Game. So that should be out sometime within the next year, mm -hmm. six months or so. Um, Matthew Price Thompson with MPT Graphics, who does my artwork. Um, Johnny Daggers with Dagger Vision Film, who did my, well, does my YouTube intro, my logo, and the music. Um, Chris Atella, who does my outro music and then also does my intro and outro music for iTunes, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, etc. Um, my Indie Productions, I'm a featured artist on there and I want to thank them for all of their um, promoting. They are amazing. They, they support the indie community and they're absolutely incredible. So My Indie Productions at MyIndieProductions.com. They're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, Sir Sturdy with Horror with Sir Sturdy. He's a fellow podcaster. He's how I got into podcasting. He's also been a special guest a couple times. Um, Bud Vino, who he's done radio, podcasting, etc., and he does a new show called Morning Dad Talk, where he fights for parental rights. Um, he's an incredible human being. He's awesome. Um, but other than that, I am done. And again, I just want to thank you so so much for coming on. I look forward to having you on again. Absolutely, my pleasure. I've had a great time. Me too. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. You too.